It's the geeky side. This is the host of the most, Will Nix, and his hostess of the most is Tyra. Hi, Tyra. Hi, Will. How are you? Doing well. And we also have a special guest, our first guest this time. I we know. have Jenna Oliver. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, guys. How you doing? We're great. Where are you talking to us from? Uh, Porto, Portugal, of all places. How I think she's talking to us to, from the bottom of a wine bottle the way. You know, <laughs> I'm here from Port. <laughs> port, yeah. Well, I've got the port and the. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we elbow. go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready here. How the hell did you end up in Portugal? Uh, <laughs> now there's a question. <laughs> Actually, this is a, a marvelous country, and and the people are awesome. Oh my God, are they awesome for people who don't speak much Portuguese? My uh, husband, uh, in answer to your question, uh, he uh, retired and. We looked around and said, ah, we want to sell all our earthly belongings, and where do we want to go? And, and we had a choice of Winder, Georgia, or um, <laughs> Portugal. And Portugal, the wine is incredibly great and way less expensive. Yes, but the, the moonshine is, is better. much better than Winder. Uh. Yeah, and <laughs> Winder is a cool town. I, I, I have no problem with it. But we, we decided since we still had our health and we had no kids we had to worry about, we moved to Europe and just kind of plow around and do our thing. So we just sold everything off and moved over here, and we're perfectly stuck in a wonderful place with great wine, great port, good food, and uh, some really nice neighbors. So, you know, it doesn't suck. Well, those for our listeners who don't know, Jenna, tell us about some of the book series you're on. Oh, Lordy, where do we go? <laughs> well, let's see. At present, I have, like, 20 books out, uh, one of which I uh, co-wrote with uh, your, uh, the hostess with the mostest there, Ms. Tyra Burton. Uh, that <laughs> that's was, her nonfiction work. <laughs> yeah, that's my nonfiction, all about social media. And uh, the others were all fiction, and, well, most of them were fiction. And there's one other one that was fiction. I don't think I counted that one, actually. And... Uh, they range anywhere from my initial fantasy series, which is me trying to figure out how to write, uh, into the Time Rover series, which I gather we're going to be talking about today. And then I landed a contract in uh, one of the big New York publishers and put out a series about a young girl trapping demons in Atlanta, Georgia, called the Demon Trapper series. And uh, that pretty much uh, helped me get a nice retirement in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> career goals. Nice <laughs> time. Career goals. goals. You got it. Well, my husband jokingly said, "Honey, you're our retirement plan," and I really thought he was kidding until no, he said, "No, actually, you are." <laughs> until you saw the bank statements, and then you realized you were it. So okay. Yeah. Actually, he did a very good job of the retirement oh, plan too. But uh, yeah. uh, I kind of went, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe I ought to write more." So I did. Well, and I oh. think that Jana really kind of broke through with her series, um, the Time River series, which is what we're going to focus on today, because okay. it's set in one of the most awesome settings ever, which is Victorian London. Now, wait a second. We got we to gotta preface here. It's also one of the longest time periods, because Queen Victoria wouldn't die. No. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, like 1837 to 1901 or something? Yeah, like something that? like that. Right, right, right around. Wait, Queen Elizabeth just broke her record not too long ago. So Yeah, she did. Yeah, Victoria started reigning very young and just kept going and going. And, and, and going and going. Yes. Yeah, and the changes to the society and to Victorian England in general, and then, then they're all their also, colonies 
were, it was incredible over that time period. Well, that and the fact, I mean, you go from an empire, it's still the empire at that point, the British Empire. Mm-hmm. And, and you also, I mean, you know, as someone who loves history, you go from pretty much antiquated times to modern times throughout her reign. I mean, she is the transition mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's when they built all those lovely uh, London Underground, which right. they're still using today. I mean, you yes. can get on the tube in London, and you are in uh, uh, tunnels that were built in the 1850s and 1860s, which they overbuilt things. They they really tended to. They they do still have to do maintenance on them, but I, I'm just like, wow, that's just older than dirt. <laughs> yes. It is amazing. So what part of you actually, your books are set in a very specific time in Victorian London. Uh, I'm set specifically in 1888. And I did that mostly because I wanted to write uh, my series, which is about time travel right over the top of the Whitechapel Murders, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, now this isn't the first foyer for Jack the Ripper in time travel, right? No. Oh, I don't know if you guys are talking, but we're going to have to pause here because I can't hear either one of you. I just lost Jana. Jana? Hmm. Let me see if Jana's still on the call. Jana is not on the call. Yes, okay. she is on the call. Okay, so let me mark when that happened about. Okay. Oh, uh, Jana? Sorry about that. Oh, there she is. <laughs> I had a tiny little problem is that my iPad closed, and when it closed, I hit the little button to reconnect, and the <laughs> iPad went, no. And we shall not speak with these people. We <laughs> shall send you out to look at you got lost in time. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, I was using language we could not use on a podcast. Son of a mother. We have a boop system. It, we'll say boop instead. Yeah, the next time it does that, I'm just going to ignore it <laughs> and not try to read. There we go. There we go. Yeah, much better. I can make a joke about technology, but I'm gonna be nice. So, (laughs) just so you know, on my end, all of a sudden there was like nothing. Nothing. It was like I was alone. Hello. Hello. Hello? Is anybody out there? Okay. Now that we all of a sudden nothing. I'm like, I know I'm bad, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) she already left. Oh, she was done. Well, it was you know, and it wasn't even a matter that uh, you know it was Skype's fault. It's just the iPad comes up and goes, "Hi, here's your control panel. What do you want to do?" And I'm going, "I'd like to go back and look at the actual Skype page." You know, (laughs) no no. technology getting the best of us all the time. No kidding. <laughs> well, the question, when, when, Tyra, when you're ready to restart, we can just restart with I'll ask her. This is not the first time Jack the Ripper's, you know, faced time travel, and we can talk about time after time for a second. Oh, yeah. I, I may even include part of this because it was funny as heck. This is really good. <laughs> you might as well. We can just keep going. I don't, you know what? Listeners, you're getting a bonus segment. This is off the reel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, deal with it. So let's so talk Jan- about time after time. Uh, Jan- Jan- like I was saying, this isn't Jack the Ripper's first time in, you know, with time travel. My first experience with really the Jack, Ripper sto- Jack the Ripper story as in fiction was with time after time. Mm-hmm. H.G. Wells meets Jack the Ripper. Right. And I'm trying to na- remember the name of the uh, uh, author for that was Nicholas. Ooh. Nicholas Meyer? Yes. He's the director. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I've got the IMD here pulled up. I'm not trying to be that guy, but I've just got it pulled up. The writers for the writers were Carl Alexander, the story, Steve Hayes, and let's see, Nicholas Meyer is the director. Was also the writer of the screenplay. Okay, because I was trying to remember who actually wrote the book. I don't and know who did the novelization, but I, can, I think Hugo, it was a film first. Written? No, no, mm-hmm. no that's who wrote. I w- oh, H.G. Wells, isn't it? No, H.G. Wells is well, in it. It's based, it's based on one of the stories. Yeah. I'm a blonde, ladies and gentlemen. You're not. Yes, I am. <laughs> blonde, but you're not. There was nothing blondish about that. That was actually a good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, Carl Alexander was the uh, the uh, author. I was trying to remember. Uh, yeah, they uh, did a really excellent uh, movie um, with H.G. Uh, Wells. Uh, Jack the Ripper manages to steal H.G. Wells' time yep. machine and go into the future. And uh, where, you know, as I think, believe it's, um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, and I just, David Warner, who plays uh, Jack the Ripper, comments that, you know, the time period that he's in, he's looking at the TV, you know, the TV with all the, the deaths and the horror, that it, it made him look like an amateur. Yeah, and, he had uh, to step his game up, right. Yeah, he really had to step his game up, and so H.G. Wells follows him into the future, and then they have all sorts of adventures and stuff, and it was a really great book, and uh, I then, you know, watched the, uh, the uh, movie and fell in love with it, and uh, I... It's still one of the my my favorite Jack the Ripper because we really didn't get into some of the right stuff. You get into the more you you, you get it, you get that he's an aristocrat, but you don't get anything else really. You don't get anything else. You don't get into any of the the theories of who Jack is. Is it's he a member of the royal just, family? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, they and they also use Jack as a a mirror to our modern society, so us. So we can look at ourselves and see that we can be just as evil as Jack was. I didn't realize that there was a sequel. Um, uh, Jacqueline the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it was written in 2009 by Alexander. Huh. And uh, just it, it blow all our minds here. And it has uh, they recently discovered that Jack the Ripper has been freed from prison and transformed into a girl named Jacqueline. And H.G. and Amy try to st- stop him in the new millennium. Huh. Oh, well. It sounds really bad. (laughs) Sometimes you should just leave well enough alone. Right. Don't dip into the well too many times, people. Um, So, again, if it's a great book and our audience loves it, I'm glad for you. Let's go ahead and say that. Everybody has a thing. So. Yeah, when you hit it out of the park, sometimes you just step back and have that beer and don't try to follow up on it. That's right. That's right. So when doing, like, trying to understand Jack the Ripper, how much research did you do? <laughs> she asked this question knowing I had to get rid of over 100 pieces of reference material, and most of them were books, before I moved to Portugal. I found fellow authors who write in the Victorian era and those who were, you know, aficionados at that time period, and made sure that those books went to them because I didn't really think sending them off to Goodwill was going to do much good because. You know, somebody's going, why do I have something on British servants in 18, you know. I think I got one of those books from you. (laughs) So I spent probably a good nine months just doing research because I have a number of friends who are quietly on the side, still looking to find out who the Whitechapel killer was. Um, And they... uh, their biggest complaint was that Jack the Ripper fiction tended to be awful, and they, they had used stronger language than that, actually. <laughs> and 
Because people wouldn't do their homework, and so they would, you know, throw stuff into Victorian era that had no business being there, and it would just like Johnny Depp. Much. Yeah, yeah, sort of like Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. There we I'm, was, I'm sorry. So that was fair. Uh, we'll explain that, that that reference for those who don't know here down in just a little bit. Uh, the um, so I, I'm because I'm one of those people who doesn't like to do things half-assed. I spent way more time than I really needed to uh, learn the Victorian customs in 1888. I read newspapers. I read pornography. <laughs> oh, oh wait, 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 back wait, up. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we, I read we here on the geeky side would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's part of the, I mean. You it is part of the culture. It's a huge part of the culture. It gives you a, a view of how society views certain things. Um, I read uh, the coroner's reports. I got my hands on almost anything I could that was related to Victorian era. I bought Victorian uh, 1888 uh, London newspapers and read through those to get a sense of the prose and get a sense of how they viewed life. And, and there's no way that no matter how many months or years I spent, could I get my head into Victorian England completely because I'm not a child of that time period. But I wanted, whenever I wrote a scene that was set in that time period, to be it as accurate and as evocative as possible. And I actually managed to pull that off to my ultimate surprise. Well, can I give you a little bit of applause? And, and I've I've known you off and on for a few years through Tyra, but just by just sticking by one one year, going with 1888, that is such a smart move because it's mm-hmm. not when people try to do these time period pieces, they try to do the whole thing. And it, mm-hmm. like you said, it ends up being bad. So I just want to give you, uh, I mean, as, as, so, as a fellow academic, it's just like, thank you, thank you, thank you for <laughs> focusing. I mean, really, no, I, you, yeah. people deserve their kudos, and that's really something kudo-worthy. Well, well it's, go ahead, Sarah. Well, I was just going to say, Sojourn is very much placed on top of the Whitechapel murders. It's, uh, it's coordinated with it. So she had to know, uh, the way she wrote the book, where somebody was, so that they would not land where they weren't supposed to be. <laughs> There's a lot of staging in, I think, Sojourn when you wrote it. Yeah, it was. I had a Excel spreadsheet that laid out where everybody was on certain days at certain times because I'm just that nuts. Uh, most people say, ah, they were somewhere during that week. But to me, if the cops were doing a house-by-house house search on a certain day, I wanted to include that in some way, a little, I mean, it might be half a line, but for anybody who actually knew the time period, they go, oh, yeah, that's those little Easter egg sort of things, little hidden goodies for those who actually know the time period. And for everybody else, it's just that tapestry of making well, what's, uh, the, the oh, sorry. end of London a character. Well, what's fascinating, what's fascinating to me is that um, people mistakenly think they were these were cleaner times they were these were better Ooh. times and like you said pornography uh, the sex industry you just you could we could go on and on just about that aspect of victorian culture and there was this concept of privacy but you really it was there there was a subculture there that was really part of everyday life mm-hmm. well the, the problem with the east end and the east end of london is is always sort of been the entry point for uh, immigrants coming into right. the United Kingdom, which is great. It, it still serves that purpose. Um, back in 1888, there was a very large Jewish culture or Jewish community huh. that had come out of Russia because of the pogroms. Right. Um, also, 
Previous to them were the Huguenots. Uh, there were just all sorts of folks that had came in and settled in this little area until they got enough money to move out for the most part. Because, uh, and the other thing we're so used to, we're in the United States and even a little less here, but in the United States, we're used to suburbs or all one, you know, all your houses in one area and all your manufacturing and everything else in different areas. Not in London. (laughs) Oh, not in London. Not in London. (laughs) Uh, even actually in Europe, in, in Victorian London, you could live next door to a slaughterhouse. Yes. And then there would be a uh, some sort of metalworks, you know, two doors down. And then there would be, you know, the chemist shop and the this and the that and the cat's meat shop and all these places. The cat's meat. It, 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 yeah, they're called cat's meat shop. No, no, I just like, I just like the way they just popped in. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clover's over and, here going, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about, don't talk about that. And, but all that, you know, you'd have a stable next door, and all the stuff was all cheek by gel. They were all crammed in. And then you would have, you know, people who were fairly well off, and then you'd have people who were absolutely destitute, that they would live in a, a 10 by 10 room, and there would be 12 family members who lived just in that room. There was no I guess, I guess the, the, I mean, the only thing that we could compare it to in the United States would be five points in New York, wouldn't it? Five, where, where. Yeah. Right, yeah after the turn of the, right after the turn of the Civil War, right, you know, right at the Civil War, where you have those those areas, those five boroughs, really connecting and industry mm-hmm. on top of a family. I mean, I'm just thinking of the, the the big Irish immigration and also the Italian immigration. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, that you have all these little little. And for those of us who've, who've been in the East End of London, even though it's mm-hmm. it's changing so much, so I, I've been. I've been over there since uh, 30 years now, 32 years I've been visiting London and, and the East End since, uh, it would have been about 2000, I think. And uh, the, the little streets are little rabbit warrens. They used to be. They're not mm-hmm. as much anymore. But little rabbit warren streets where you go down and, the, and everybody says, well, I don't see why people wouldn't know that there was a bad guy, you know, just in the next uh, in the next doorway. Well, with the... With the old lamps that they had, the, oh uh, the street lamps, they were gas, and they didn't have that much radius. So you were walking down these very narrow, little, dark, dirty alleys. You'd have been better with candlelight. I mean, honestly, with the... You really would be, yeah. and you yeah. still wouldn't be able to see much. Right. And so, very dark. So there was so much that was so interesting about Victorian London that, you know, it was... Uh, it's just an interesting, intriguing place to set, you know, to bring a time traveler from 2057 who hated, hates everything Victorian, drag <laughs> her in there and turn her loose. And, and I specifically tried not to have her uh, unearth who Jack the Ripper was. I didn't want to go there. So many people have tried to do that, and I didn't want to. But I wanted her to look at Victorian London as an outsider and then realize that as a time traveler, because uh, she would bring in academics. Hi, you academics there. Well, you would bring in academic uh, travelers to do their research, which consisted of sitting at the local gin hall, drinking for a few, you know, for a week, and then going back and writing lots of articles just so they can get tenure. Um, she, um, she, her job was to find one who'd gone walkabout. He'd just gone missing. So that was her job to go in, and she just wanted to snag him up and get out of there because she hated Victorian London. 
so it gave us gave me an opportunity to, to mesh her into this whole mess right over the top of the Ripper murders, even though she's not supposed to be there during that time, and see how this ball plays out. Gives you a lot and, of freedom as a writer, too. So Well, I, I thought there was only going to be one book, and I got to the end of the first book, which is entitled Sojourn, and then I wrote the publisher, and, and I was writing for a small press, thank God. A uh, small press called Dragon Moon uh, out of uh, Calgary, Canada. They gave me my start, and... Uh, I wrote Gwen, the publisher, and I go, I think there's two more books. She says, go for it. And I went, wow. <laughs> and it went That's the there. words we all want to hear. I think there's, I think, it, yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So, so when we, uh, yeah. people that are like completely geeky about Jack the Ripper, what do they call themselves? Uh, Ripperologists is what they're called. Um, is it an academic term, or is that just something that they call themselves or get called? I think that's what they've gotten tagged with, and so they just call themselves ripperologists. And these are people who have been researching the crimes, oh, Lord, since, oh, for 40, 50 years at least, okay. if not longer. Um, they've unearthed some really interesting and, – and, and, and while they're still trying to figure out who Jack was – in the process, they unearth all this interesting information about the East End, the people who lived there, the type of jobs they had, you know, the kind of lives they led. And, and so it all adds to the, the academic research for Victorian era. And uh, plus, they might actually stumble over whoever they figure out who Jack is. Which, which is, you know, which is fascinating, you know, that we're still stuck with this story. And it's a fascinating story, the Jack the River story. But, you know, I, the culture addiction to serial killers, it kind of, it really starts that. Mm -hmm. It's not the beginning, you know, but. Well, part of it was, and we always chuckle about or or kind of roll our eyes at sensationalist journalism nowadays. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Back then, that's what made money is they put out story after story Mm -hmm. after story about Jack because. um, Sold paper. It, yeah, self papers, and uh, so and, it, and when you go out to them, there's a website called casebook.org, org. Um, they have an entire section devoted to newspapers from across the world that had articles about Jack the Ripper. That's fascinating. People, yeah, people have taken the old uh, photo, you know, the old uh, PDF of the the old the actual newspapers. And uh, or images of the old newspapers and typed up all these articles so you can read what was going on in New York and Austin and in Sydney, Australia, and all over the world where they're, they're dealing with news about Jack. Which well, is it's, you know, it's really interesting how this kind of ties into uh, you know, Hearst Publishing and the yellow journalism you know, of the early you – know, the turn of the century America and, mm-hmm. how, and mm-hmm. how we – and we had kind of had that same, same stuff going on here. You know, it's nothing's, you know, nothing's ever new. It's just you know, how it ever pops up, so – yeah, yeah. We always like to think we invented things, but we really didn't. We didn't. No, no. It's sensationalism and journalism has been around since. Well, you know, Uggs on the cave wall went. Ugh. Mm, yeah. Story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there. And, yeah. Go ahead. No, Sorry. no, no. I was just. I was. I was just looked at Casebook.org, and it is amazing. Isn't it incredible? I, I like the fact that they start off with the victims is like the first thing you can click on to talk to yeah. talk about. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. That was a, a big, heavy conversation a good 10 or more years ago was uh, there's a lot of when you if you're in London, you can uh, you can take any one of the Jack the Ripper uh, tours. Uh, if somebody is looking at doing that, please do your research, because there are some out there that are totally just absolute BS. They will stop you in front of a location that had nothing to do with the crime 
and give you all sorts of facts that aren't really true. And my thought is if you're going to be taking that one trip, you know, that one tour in your whole life, at least get with people that know what they're talking about. And, um, and because of that, there tended to be a, a feeling that we were glorifying Jack, you know, the killer, um, who probably killed five women, maybe killed more. We're, we really don't know for sure. And that we're glorifying him and forgetting the victims. And that's, that's an ongoing cons- uh, conversation. And the truth is, uh, there, was a, there was always a reverence for, or a respect, let's say, not a reverence for the victims. But over the last 10 years or even longer, they have got to a point where we've begun examining when we go to, there's actually conferences that uh, discuss, like I went to an East End conference last year, which is, includes Whitechapel and, and also to discuss somewhat about Jack the Ripper. There are also Jack the Ripper conferences. And these aren't, these aren't, these are done with a great deal of respect for the victims, and they will bring in, in fact, I've been to a number of them where they will bring in, they will cover one particular victim and discuss her life, how she, where she was born, the entire path she took to get where she met up with Jack and his knife, and also bring in family members and photos and information, and, and so it made them, made them real, which is important. Because Jack has, as you said, as, as Will said earlier, is sort of almost like a, a myth. And it's important to remember that these ladies found themselves in a position because it, to, to you know, meet the killer. And sometimes, and mostly, uh, because they had no other choice but to earn their coin on the, on the streets so they could find a place to sleep at night. Well, you know, it's really funny to me is that how this movement you're talking about reflects a uh, one-act play our students did not too long ago called The Drowning Girls. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the victim's perspective and how they ran into this killer. And mm-hmm. it's all about their story. And it's very it's, it's a phenomenal one-act play. And if you're interested in, in the Jack the Murder series, Jack the Ripper series, excuse me, this is something you might want to go watch and see or read because it, it, it's very much that perspective. It's set pretty much in, Victoria, in Victorian times, not necessarily Victorian mm-hmm. – London, but it's in, the, in this whole the sensationalism that's going around it. But what's happening to these girls? And mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful play. Well, it's, it was always kind of easy to just say, well, these ladies were all prostitutes. But most of them, if they resulted to prostitution, it was casual prostitution. They if they right. had to earn their coins any other way, they would go hike, you know go walking down a dark alley with a with a guy and do a quick act of commerce or. I think Terry Pratchett referred to it as negotiable affection. Negotiable affection. Um, yeah. That, that works. Yeah. And um, then they get their coins so they could go stay at what that was refers to as a, a DOS house, which was a, a really depressing place, but it was inside and reasonably safe as compared to sleeping warm. in the streets. <laughs> yeah. And sort of warm and, and, you know, you could stay there overnight and then go out again and try to find work. And, you know, sleeping in the streets was a problem because the cops were trained, the coppers, the rosers, as they call them, were trained to move you along. If you were, if you were sleeping in the street, they'd come and roust you. Well, that makes yeah. it really hard to go the next day to try to find a job if you're half awake. So, yeah, I, I could see how these ladies slowly ended up getting to that position where they had to take those coins. And also there was uh, gin involved, and, and people say, well, they shouldn't be drinking gin. Well, in Victorian era, when, you're at, when you go out to one of the, the, the central water pumps, they're out in the middle of a 
an area so that the, because most of the houses didn't have water piped in. Uh, those pumps weren't on, weren't, uh, the water didn't come out of them 24 hours a day. You know, often these things would be only workable for two or three hours a day. So if you weren't able to get there to get your water, then you didn't have any water. And also the water wasn't always necessarily healthy because, well, there were cholera and other issues that came with having your water source really close to your privies. So and your industry. Again, <laughs> yeah, and your industry, you know, your stable, your, your, you know, your metal manufacturer just up the street, all that kind of stuff went into the water system. So the, uh, they would drink gin because that would be healthy. And um, there was also the, the belief that gin in its own way would prevent uh, contraception. So there I didn't were, know that. Yeah. Now, some people say that's the case. Some people say it isn't. I haven't actually researched it beyond that, but I know that that was kind of a underlying theory. I thought and also so, gin was also for what? Uh, chol- not cholera, but um, oh, what was the typhoid, right? It, it might well be because gin and that, you go into a pub back then, that's, you didn't have a lot of money. You could go in and you could nurse a gin for quite a while. You could nurse an ale. You could talk to your neighbors. You get all the gossip. It's the Facebook with drinks of, you know, the Victorian era. And uh, so that's not surprising that every now and again you hit up with a guy and go out and do a little quick act of commerce and get a few more pennies. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was basically given really for quinine. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. so you would, you would get it. That's what, how a gin and tonic was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, it, from our you know from our modern standpoint, it was really easy to look at these ladies and say, well, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in in danger? But a lot of them had a fairly dark, you know, fairly dark outlook of what their life was going to play out like. Oh man! And, yeah. You know, most uh, children there was a fifty percent mortality rate on children under age five. So if you survived till you were twenty, my God, you were really pushing the you know pushing the ropes there. So. It was against. Okay, I, I was not not typhoid. It was malaria. Sorry, it was malaria. malaria. And you, and it says that consuming sixty seven liters of tonic water would provide one gram of quinine. So you had to drink a bunch of gin, gin and tonics. Oh man, sounds like a good excuse. Except for I don't like I, gin. You don't, I don't like gin? Like I gin. love a good gin and tonic. Oh. I love gin and tonic. Oh. <laughs> I am not a gin girl, but I think it's important to remember that women just did not have the opportunities or the ability mm-hmm. to really, in some ways, take care of themselves at that point. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there was no safety net, per se. No. Um, and I mean, I if mean. you... It just... It, it was a different time and a different place, and we can't put modern-day perceptions on historical events. Mm-hmm. It just does um, not work. You had the poor houses. You had everything. that were just horrible. I mean, they're pretty much prisons for the poor at this time and it's just it's just a, no, not a great time not a great time uh, and with, to some extent we still share the victorian sentiment that if you're poor you're lazy or it's a moral failing or yep. you're um or you're in you know you have mental incapacity of some sort that you're you're a moron not, and, it's not a lack of opportunity <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, that you really don't have the option to go out and and your job doesn't pay enough and you've got you know and at that point Point, there was birth control was a definite no-no, um, and so you've got eight kids. You've got to feed all those kids. You've got a job down at the you know down at the docks. It doesn't pay beans. Your wife has to stay home, so she tries to do piecework in her little ten by ten room. And no, when you look at those those 
those statistics and the, and the information. I'm just, I would love to go back and visit Victorian England for like three days. And then I would want to come home. Oh, <laughs> yes. Because... Yeah, you bring home amoebic dysentery with you, though, okay? <laughs> oh, no, well, you see, I, I understand so wisely my, my time travelers have a, a uh, disease shield. So they can oh, okay, 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 <laughs> all right. If not, there's a hundred well, different things you can bring back. A little bit of literary doises mocking out there to protect you. <laughs> yes, I had to. Yes, you did, because it would kill you. Stuff they would catch. And uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I had to do, as Tyra said, I had to do the research of the... the the society and everything about uh, Victorian England, but I also needed to do, you know, the research about the crimes so that I didn't fall across something and do something wrong. Uh, because I knew I had a, a couple, three ripperologists that actually read through the books and vetted what I did to make sure I didn't do something stupid because I really wanted it to be that precise. And I probably got a little insane with it, but uh, it's probably also one of my my best uh, series that I love. I love my Demon Trapper series, but the, the, the Time Rovers has a certain joy in my heart that I pulled it off. <laughs> I still can't <laughs> believe I did. <laughs> well, it has so much detail. I think that's, you know, <sighs> it's a lot easier to write present day than it is to write mm-hmm. historical. And Victoria <laughs> is so um, researched and written about that, you know, you do get people that are going to nitpick you. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think you only got dinged on one thing, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, something. I, the crossword. Assumptions. Yeah. You make, yeah, the crosswords. You make assumptions. And I put in, I wrote in about somebody doing the crossword in the London Times, in the, the Times, uh, in the newspaper. And somebody wrote me and said, hi. Loved your book. Everything else was cool. By the way, uh, crosswords probably really didn't come into into general you know, general circulation until about the 1920s. And I went crap because you just automatically assumed it was there. The London Times and a crossword puzzle, right? Yeah, right. And there were word puzzles, but not right. crossword puzzles. So I went back because hey, I had that opportunity, and I actually fixed that in the in the ebook copies. So now we talk about word word. Uh, puzzles rather than a crossword puzzle but uh, my you know part of me went if that's the worst i got wrong yay Yay. (laughs) so i mean kind of to switch subject a little bit but stay on the kind of the same theme let's just talk about the jack the ripper you know not getting to the academic side of it but kind of but why it has such staying power um probably because of the strength of the newspaper reporting i mean just the miles and miles and miles of types that were written about these crimes. Also because uh, the London cops, both the London Met, the, the, in, in 1888 and in fact still today, there are two uh, police forces in London. There's the uh, Metropolitan Police and the City of London Police. The City of London Police uh, deal with the square mile that is the center of London, per se. And the Metropolitan Police co- cover everything else. Um, the problem was these four guys, uh, forensics per se, did not really exist. Um, nope. They weren't still, you know, they weren't really doing photographs of the victims in uh, where they were found. They did for the final victim because she was found inside and they, you know, took photos of Mary Kelly. But out in, you know, if you were found in a back alley somewhere, they didn't take photos. They sometimes they did drawings. But at that time, they could not 
if they had uh, blood, they couldn't type whether it was human blood or animal blood. Right. They didn't know that until 1901. And they also didn't have fingerprints. Uh, that didn't nope. start until 1892. So these guys are running, uh, their, their standard way of doing it is going door to door. What did you see? Did you see anybody who looked off? Did you, did you know the victim? Did you? And so they, they did so much to try to capture this person and they never got him. And I think that that's what gave him, you know, near myth status was the fact that all this work had been thrown in and in the, all the cops that they had. I mean, they had plain clothes cops in the streets and the East, East End, even though they kind of stood out. But, I mean, when you have guys dressed as girls, they, they kind of look funny. So, Janet, you know, what's really funny is that, you know, my picture of this area comes a lot from uh, Sherlock Holmes. And mm-hmm. how and mm-hmm. how he's presented in this, during this time, and kind of you kind of do you get this feel that you have, everybody's kind of an amateur Sherlock trying to solve yeah. these kind of crimes? And and a lot of these people, uh, one of the the chief people who originally started uh, doing research into Jack the Ripper was a former London Met cop named Donald Romolo, and Donald happened to find a box of glass plates out in the hallway that whenever they needed more room at the police station, they just cleared crap out, you know, and threw it. And he was wondering what these were, and he's flipping through them, and he realizes that they were actually photographs of Mary Kelly's little room uh, back from 1888. So he took them with him, though he technically wasn't supposed to, but he said that they're going to throw them away, I'm going to take them. And that kind of started him on doing more research into Jack the Ripper and whatever. So there's, there's those people who are total amateurs uh, who immediately leap to, I have figured out Jack, uh, even though I've only done this for a week and a half. And then there are those people who spent 30, 40 years immersing themselves in this and realizing that the chances of proving who Jack are pretty dismal. <laughs> well, we can't solve crimes that took place last week, much less trying right. to, you know, something that took place exactly. over 100 years ago. So Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know who Jack is. Well, it's, you know, it's really tempting. It was really great because, like, uh, the, uh, From Hell and, and the movie and, and other movies have played into the the royal conspiracy that right. our Victoria's grandson, uh, Prince Albert Victor, uh, Eddie, uh, he's, he was called Collars and Cuffs. He wasn't a bright lad. Uh, he, uh, he might have been the killer. Or uh, Sir William Gull, who was, I believe, a... Uh, Position to yeah, that was the big when I again in my early years in reading all these things. It was always that it was such precise killings that it had to be a physician. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you look at it, and you go, it was it was, it was a hack, it was a hack and slasher. It wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't precision cutting or anything else. It's just they had a sharp knife. Mm-hmm. He also had some knowledge of anatomy because he uh, removed some body parts from one of the victims that right. would have been kind of tricky to do in a darkened courtyard with no lights around. <laughs> so I'm kind of going, wow. I just like, I, I, I have no idea. I always just, I've had people ask. In fact, I was asked at a, a, a convention a couple of years ago out of the blue in front of an entire ballroom of people who do I think was Jack the Ripper. And I, I made a mental note to get even with the people who asked me that. But um, I, I just, uh, figure that it's a local nutter. I, there are enough nuts out there that would happily kill women like that. And I yep. suspect by the latter end of these crimes, because there were five crimes between uh, the 1st of August and uh, the 1st of November that um, of 1888, that uh, 
it has to be somebody that these ladies knew because by that point, you're not going to go off with some rich guy in a down a cor- uh, no. alley because, but if it's, if it's Joe and you know him from the bar or know him from the pub or he's your local butcher or you've gone with right. him before down an alley and not had a problem, you would trust him. And so I've always figured he was a local nutter, and there are a number of them that you can choose from. <laughs> well, also you had, you had the syphilis issues at that time, you know, mm-hmm. all all the other stuff that was going on. That you know, the revenge killings, all the theories that are out there. There's just so many. Yeah. There's so many, and I can't see. You know, Prince Albert Victor was at Sandringham, which is way north, uh, during the killings, and. Uh, Patricia Cornwall, who is uh, uh, a uh, fiction author, believed it was Walter Sickert, who was sitting in France at the time. So, yeah, I got to a point where I went, whoever Jack was, I really don't care, but I really wanted to see the entire culture that spawned Jack. That's what fascinated me, and that's what I went for. There you go. Well, I I think it turned out great because I have read the the Sojourn series and I loved it. I think you do Victorian better than just about anybody. Yeah, I I want to go back and write it again, but then part of me goes, I have to do all the more research again. I'm getting, you know, I'm part I'm half uh, partially retired at this point as an author, and I'm going. That looks like a lot of work. <laughs> I was I was young I was younger when I did that. <laughs> I'm still hoping for short stories, keeping my fingers yes, crossed. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping for sure. I'm cooking one around in my head right now, which would be fun. But uh, I'd like to take uh, two of the main characters to Edinburgh because I love Edinburgh. And uh, I spent a lot of time wandering around graveyards and back alleys up there. So I'd like to do something with that. So who, who knows? You know, we get long rainy periods here in Porto. Sometimes in the winter I might write something. There you go. We, got, we, we know all about rainy periods because we're yeah. having one of those. We're going through more. one. <laughs> yeah, yes. I saw the forecast for you guys the other day was 7 to 10 inches, and I looked at that and went, whoa. <laughs> it is crazy. So just when you think it's winter, it's really, I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> Extended spring. <laughs> yes, uh, the rainy season. Yep. Well, Jana, thanks for coming and talking with us. We're so excited, and we hope everybody goes out and checks out JanaOliver.com and finds out more about the Sojourn series. Pick up the oh, Demon Trapper series as well. My son says hello. He he loved meeting you and still has half your stuff hanging in our house. So uh. <laughs> Yeah, Will came by to help us move, and we have some goodies left over that were kind of very unique and and his son went ooh, ooh could i have that uh, I went, ooh. yeah <laughs> and, and the dad said can i have that and i went sure and we were like <laughs> unloaded the entire house tyra and, and her husband were there as well because we're going uh all have to go, guys. <laughs> yes, we have we have many things I look at and go, oh, Janet and Harold, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we now live in a approximately an eight hundred square foot apartment that is just the perfect size. It still gets way too dirty, but it's perfect size because we just don't have any room for stuff. <laughs> that part's good. There's not enough space in eight hundred square feet. I think. Yeah. Well, we've gotten better. It, it's it's interesting when you retire and. Uh, Suddenly you have a husband 24-7, so you learn to deal with your 800-square-foot space and learn to give yourself each other room. So it, it's worked out great. Well, awesome. well, thank you so much. We really loved having you, and and uh, I we can't thank you enough for being – and you set the we set the bar high, and you hit it, being our first guest. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. I, I love it. I think you guys are fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will have you back. But. We will. Oh, thank you, 
So thanks for coming along on the geeky side. Will, you want to take us out of here? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the geeky side. Next week, we're talking about something Marvel. We're not quite sure yet, but we're going to have a little fun and just keep on rolling on. And we'll see you on the other side of the geeky side. Say bye, Tara. It'll be marvelous. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.